Amen. One thing I do want to encourage you, if you're visiting for the first time, please fill out the connection card in your bulletin. Drop it in the basket on your way out. We have a gift that we'd like to give you. I promise you we're not going to send you a bunch of junk mail. We're not going to sell your information. Uh, I'll send you a nice little uh, thank you card, and, and uh, we want to give you a gift, and we want to like to know how you found out about us and, and how you came to be here. Um, and so please do that if you're visiting for the first time here and fill that connection card out and drop it in the basket at the info center as you go out on today. Amen. And uh, also for you regulars, you'll notice by now that I don't have a message guide for you today. I'm not, I didn't do a message guide. So we're going to do it old school. Uh, You're going to have to actually get your Bible out and uh, follow along. How about that? That's a good thing. I I really want to, you know, we have, we have pew Bibles that are there. And, uh, and I would really encourage you to bring your Bible to church. Bring your Bible to church and uh, bring a Bible that you can write in, that you can mark in, and uh, that you can take home and, and read. We have those for people that don't have the Scriptures, but um, pretty soon, I don't... Um, anyways, just do that. I really encourage you. If you have a Bible, bring it, and uh, if you don't, and uh, go get you one, and if you can't get one, come see me, and I'll, 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 I'll get you one, okay? We'll make sure you have a, a Bible of your very, very own. Amen? Amen? I want to talk to you today about three things that every person should know. I'm being serious. Three things every person should know. And I'll just, I'll just tell you, I really have good news for you today. You might not think at first that it is good news, but it really is good news. Um. But here's the three things that, that I believe every person should know. Number one is you're not in control. I know you want to be. I know you want to believe that you are. I, want, I know you want to believe that you can be. But I want you to know this. You are not in control. You're not. Number two is this. You are not your own. I know you think your life is your life. I know you think you can do what you want to do. I know you can think you can do all this and do all that, but I want you to know this. You are not your own. You're not. You're not your own. Number three is this. This is not your home. This is not your home. And the church has got to come to a place where she stops living as though this is her home. You're not in control, you're not your own, and this is not your home. These are the three things I want to talk to you about today because we need to get a revelation of these things. I said we need to get a revelation of these things. Now, I'm going to put this thing down because... Yes, now I'm free. Praise God. Actually, I was free before that, but... You're not in control. Now, I have a basic philosophy or basic belief of all people. I believe every person is a control freak. Some know it. Some admit it. Some like being a control freak. Some want to control any and everything they possibly can. 
Others live in denial and say they're not, but they really are. It's part of our fallen nature. We want to be in control. We want to be in control, but the reality is we're not. We're not in control. Any real control man thinks that he has is only an illusion. Any control that man thinks he really has is only an illusion. I, I really believe that. The, the more I live, the longer I live on this earth, the more I come to believe that. I used to think I had a lot of control over a lot of things. And the longer I live, the more I realize I have a lot less control than I want to admit that I do. Did you hear that? I have a lot less control than I want to admit that I do. I'm still not ready to admit that I don't have as much control as I think I do. But God's getting me there. Every day, he, he, he helps me realize I'm more out of control than I realize that I am. And you know what? That can be a horrifying thing for you, or that can be a very liberating thing. At, at a point in time in my life, that would have been a very horrifying thing. I'm going to tell you what, right now, God is doing a work, and it's becoming a liberating thing for me. It's becoming a liberating thing. Even though we have free will, when it's all said and done, all will reveal that He is Lord of all. Listen, when it's all said and done, all will reveal that He is Lord of all. Everything's going to declare that He is, He has been, He always will be Lord of all. We were talking in the Bible study this morning, and a comment was made that we just really don't have any clue of how big God is. And I'm telling you what, that's the truth. Well, we think we do. I mean, we, we can look at pictures that the Hubble telescope sends back, and we say, God, the universe is bigger than we can imagine. You can't even imagine. The universe is a drop in the bucket. The universe is nothing. It's nothing. We have no concept of how big God is. We have no concept of how powerful God is. We think we're in control. We're not in control of anything. He's the one in control. And by His grace and by His mercy, He's brought us along for the ride. We're like the little kid who's sitting in Daddy's lap. They think they're driving the car, but they ain't doing nothing. He's just letting them put their hands on the steering wheel. He thinks they're, they think they're steering and taking Daddy somewhere, but the reality is Daddy knows exactly where he's going, how he's going to get there. He just allows them the pleasure of that illusion. I'm telling you, church, he is in control. And that's a good thing. That might not be a pleasant thing for you to think about right now, but I'm telling you what, the fact that he is in control and you and I are not is a very, very good thing. Oh, he lets us have control to a certain degree. Even when, when I was a little baby, my daddy let me crawl up in the lap to drive the car. He asked me, do you want to drive the car? I said, yeah, Daddy, I want to drive the car. And I chose to get up in Daddy's lap and sit there and think that I was driving the car. I could have said, no, Daddy, I don't feel like driving today. But what kid would, huh? But I'm going to tell you what, even though I freely chose to get up in my Daddy's lap and drive that car, I look back now and I realize I didn't have any control over that situation. 
He was the one that had all control. But he did let me choose to get up in that lap, put my hands on that steering wheel, and be a part of what he was doing. God in his grace and his mercy and his love, he's allowed us to be a part of what he's doing. And that's good news. But the better news is, you're not the one ultimately in control, he is. So you know what? When you get tired of the illusion that you're steering and taking somebody someplace, just go ahead and sit back and relax because God's got the wheel. He's, he's in control. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. Now I'm just going to be honest with you today. I'm a very political person. I'm a very opinionated person. I would be known by most as an extreme right-wing radical. I'm not ashamed to tell you I didn't vote for our present leader. I'm not ashamed to tell you that I probably wouldn't have voted for most of the people that are leading our Congress in the House and in the Senate. But let me say this. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. As much as I love this nation, as much as I believe in our founding and in the Constitution which governs us, as much as I believe in the great things that built this nation, I'm going to tell you something today, church. Don't make America an idol. Don't make America an idol. Because as quick as God raised her up, God will let her fall. Because America means nothing to God except that America accomplish the purpose God has. Not for America, but for His plan and His purpose. And when God is done with America, America will cease to exist as we know it. Am I saying that's going to happen? I don't know. You know why? Because I'm not the one in control. God is. So am I going to lose sleep over it? Well, I used to, but you know what? I'm losing a lot less sleep now. Do I still vote? Yes, I still vote. Do I believe Christians should vote? Yes, I believe Christians should vote. I believe we should choose godly leaders if given the opportunity. But I'm going to tell you what, I can vote for godly leaders all day long, but God is going to turn the course of the river the way He wants it to go. Because He's going to achieve what He wants to achieve. And if we think that we're going to build some utopia here on earth. I, I don't know. Maybe we will. Maybe I'm wrong. But I'm going to tell you what. Paul told Timothy 2,000 years ago, Timothy, perilous times are coming. And I don't think he told Timothy that, thinking that Timothy would never see the perilous times. I'm telling you what. Timothy lived in perilous times. Paul lived in perilous times. Peter said, this is the fulfillment of the Scripture. In the last days, God will pour out His Spirit. I'm telling you what, church, we're living in the last days. We've been living in the last days. Jesus could come back right now, this very instant, if He chose to. Will He? I don't know. The Bible says only the Father knows that time. Even Jesus doesn't even know. Only the Father knows. I'm so tired of people who make money writing books trying to scare people to death. Every time some headline happens in the paper, they write a new book about this. This war, that war. This nation, that nation. You know what? The fact is nobody knows. 
And we get so caught up in all those extracurricular things. You know what? We spend all our time reading books trying to figure out what's going to happen next week. We're not out preaching the gospel. We're not out making Jesus know. We're not out doing what we should be doing because we're like chicken little. Wondering if the sky is going to fall today. We need to get delivered of that church. Because we're not in control. God is. And until He splits that sky open and comes back, you know what our business is? It is the business of the kingdom. It is to proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ. It's to make Him known. It's to glorify Him through our words, through our life, through everything that we do. Whether it's in the church house, at our workhouse, in the home, it doesn't matter. You preach the gospel. You are a living epistle anywhere and everywhere you go. And I'm telling you what, it's time for the church to wake up and realize who she is and that we're living in the last days. It's been the last days for 2,000 years. It has been. It will continue to be the last days until Jesus comes again. And we need to, we need to regain the passion that the early church had. They thought any day, any day, any moment he could come back. And listen, the Holy Spirit told us. Peter said, hey, in the last days, mockers, scoffers, they're going to arise. They're going to say, where's the promise of His coming? It's been so long, the fathers, they waited. He hadn't come. The Messiah hadn't come yet. All the scoffers are saying today, well, you know, that church has been preaching for 2,000 years. The Lord's going to come back, but He ain't come back yet. I'm going to tell you what, you hide and watch, He's coming back. You hide and watch, He's coming back. All the scoffers... All those mocking God, they're not going to scoff and they're not going to mock God in that day. Because the promise of His coming is sure. When? I don't know. Jesus said, don't worry about the when. Just occupy until I come. Preach the gospel until I come. Be a witness for me until I come. Don't get freaked out because the person you didn't vote for took control of your nation and now they're ruining everything in your mind. Trust God. God knows what he's doing. If God wants to let this nation come to ruin, he'll let it come to ruin. That doesn't affect you and me. Because we're not in control of it. And point number three, like I said, we'll get there. But let me just remind you, this is not our home. Amen? Acts, Acts 4.27 The apostles just got back from getting in trouble because they healed a lame man. And the powers that be didn't like the fact that they healed him in the name of Jesus. So they said, don't y'all do that again. Don't be in this temple preaching Jesus. And they said, huh, should we obey man or should we obey God? So they got in trouble. And what did they do? We ain't voting for them next time. We're going to get a petition drive started up and we're going to put a website on and we're going to start a movement against these guys because they don't want us preaching the gospel. You know, you know what they did? They went back rejoicing. They prayed and they just kept preaching the gospel. They said, forget you guys. You know, bless you. We're going to pray for you that you get saved. But we're going to keep preaching the gospel. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, Acts 4.27, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined beforehand to be done. Who's in control? God's in control. God knew Jesus was going to the cross. Jesus knew it was all in the Father's hands. And Jesus submitted to the will of the Father. Not my will, but your will be done, Father. And he went to the cross. And the church recognized that that was according to the purpose of God. Looked like a disaster in the natural, but it wasn't. It was the greatest victory that's ever been achieved. 
It, it ha- is and will always be the greatest victory. It is, it is our victory. The cross is our victory. Church, do you realize that? The cross is our victory. You're victorious and you don't even know it. We're running around worried about what's going to happen to America. We're victorious and we don't even know it. Help me, Holy Ghost, as my friend Harvey Randall would say. Philippians 2.13, what's it say? It is God, not me, not you. It is God who does what? It is God who works in you both to will and to do according to whose good pleasure? According to his good pleasure. You're not in control. God is. You're not your own. Regardless of what you want to believe, regardless of what I want to believe, I'm not my own. Any real ownership man thinks he has, it's kind of like control. It's only an illusion. You say, well, but, but, but I haven't given my life to Jesus, so I'm my own man. Oh, really? You think so? That's an illusion too. Because Jesus told the Pharisees, he said, you are of your father, the devil. <laughs> you just think you're in control, and you're letting God have a part. Or you think you're in control, and I, I don't believe in God, so he doesn't mean anything to me. Well, you go ahead and think that. And we'll see when it's all said and done, who's the Lord of all. He will be, I promise you. If I, if I, if I belong to Christ, the Scripture says, I'm Him. I, I'm, I'm His. If I don't belong to Christ, you know what I'm like? I'm like the captain of a sinking ship. My ownership and my control is only fleeting at best. Because this baby is going down fast. And I can stand there at the wheel and steer it all I want, but it's sinking And when that thing hits the bottom of the ocean, it ain't going to matter. When we don't belong to the Lord, we're just like that. We're like the captain of a sinking ship, thinking we're going somewhere, but, but we're not. But when I give my life to Jesus, when I surrender myself to Christ, the Bible says I belong to Him. Paul says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. First Peter 2, verse 9 says, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. That's us, church. We're a chosen people, a royal, a kingly priesthood, a holy nation. I got news for you. We're all Americans today. But that's not the nation we belong to anymore. We're a holy nation. Do I love the nation America? Yes, I love her. Do I want to see her succeed? Yes, I want to see her succeed. But I need to be careful that I don't let anything become an idol in my life. Because I'm telling you what, I don't belong to anyone except one, and his name is Jesus Christ. My identity is not in the fact that I was born in America or that I'm an Anglo or a Mexican or a, an Indian 
or an African or anything else you want to put there. My identity is in Christ Jesus, where there is not American or Canadian or Mexican or Jew or Greek or slave or free or male nor female, but there's one new man, there's one new nation, there's one holy people. They are the people of God. That's what we have been brought into through Jesus Christ. You're not your own. Your life is not yours to do what you want with it. I know we want to believe that, but it's not true. And if I told you anything else, I'd be lying to you. You might not like what I'm saying to you, and you don't have to come back next week and hear more of it. Go somewhere, and there's plenty of people that will tell you what you want to hear. Just shop around. You'll find them. They're out there, I promise you. But we have a responsibility as believers to preach one message from one source. And that message is Christ, and that source is Christ. That's it. You're not in control. You're not your own. This is not your home. Oh, I know this is where we live. Listen, I love my home. I love Taylor. I love where I live. I love the fact that God allowed me to be here. And I'll be honest with you, I I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Even if it is 105 outside. I love being here. I love. I, I spent too many years trying to get away from here. And God just, you know, how long will he let me be here? I don't know, as long as he decides. But I'm content. But he's the one in control. My life is not my own. And this is not my home. It's not. It's not my home. This is not my land. You know that song, this land is your land, this land is my land. This is not your land. (laughs) It's not. (laughs) Quit singing that song because it's not your land. This is not your land. God has placed my hope. Listen, here's good news, church. This is not my land. God has placed my hope on higher ground. The the land that God has given me is higher ground. The, The land that he's given me as a possession is much greater than any land here. Whose land is Christ. Whose house is Christ. Christ. He is my land. The kingdom. It's my land. It's not an earthly land. It's a spiritual land. It will never pass away. It will never fade away. That land is my land because it belongs to the king of kings. And in His grace, He's allowed me to come into His kingdom. I'm sitting in Daddy's lap, steering the car. And I think I'm in control, but I'm not. And God in His grace, He just lets me stay there and keep steering. But He knows. Oh, He knows. And you know what? As I get bigger, He says, Son, I hate to tell you, but you're too big to sit in my lap. i got to break some news to you. All those times I let you sit in my lap and drive the car, you really weren't in control. But it's okay. Now you're old enough to understand I'm telling you what, God wants to renew your mind to some truth to set you free. Amen? This is not your home. Philippians 3.20 says, For our citizenship is in heaven. If you have a King James Bible, it says, For our conversation is is in heaven. But that word means citizenship. Our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven. 
Listen, when I go to Mexico on a mission trip, I'm not a citizen of Mexico. Paul, remember when we went down there? Now, Paul, he got arrested in Mexico. And, and part of our defense in the beginning was, well, well, well we, can't, we couldn't read the sign. And they said, you're going to come to Mexico, you better learn the language. That's what they told us. I'm not a citizen of Mexico. So you're not a citizen of Mexico. You're a citizen of America. You're just visiting us. You better learn our language if you're going to come visit us. That's what they told us. And if I go to China, they can tell me the same thing. If I go to Japan, they can tell me the same thing. If I go to Canada, to Quebec, they can tell me, you're in Quebec now. We speak French here. Our citizenship is not here. It's in heaven. It's in heaven. This is not our home. And Jesus, he's coming from heaven. I'm living on this earth. I'm visiting the earth right now. But this isn't where my citizenship is. I visited Mexico on a mission trip, but that's not where my citizenship is. I'm visiting the earth right now, but my citizenship is in heaven. And I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. And guess what? My king is coming back. He's coming back. And you know what? Even this ground that I'm on right now, it's his. It's his. And he's going to redeem it one day. He's going to make it brand new one day. He's going to get rid of all the unrighteousness, and it's going to be filled with his righteousness. All the corruption, it's going to be gone, and it's going to be filled with incorruption. All the mortality, it's going to be gone. It's going to be filled with immortality. That which is temporal, it's going to pass away and it's going to become eternal. The city that I come from, the land that I come from, it's not a temporary land, it's an eternal land. It'll never pass away. It'll never fade away. This is not my home. Heaven is my home. I'm just visiting here and I'm waiting for my king to come back. I'm waiting for him to come back and you know what? He's coming back. He's coming back. I'm not lying to you. 1 Peter 2, 11 says, Beloved, here's what Peter says, Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, as temporary residents, as just wanderers through this land. He said, you're just wandering through this land. You're just here for a short time. I beg you, as wanderers, sojourners, and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts. You know that applies to a lot of things. Now, immediately, when I say fleshly lust, a lot of you, you think of all kinds of perverted things. You think of all kinds of aberrant behavior and sinful acts that you can commit that God would not approve of. But I'm going to tell you what, there's a lot of fleshly lust that's going on that we wouldn't call aberrant or perverted. Can I just tell you something? I believe this. I believe the church has become so fleshly and so lustful for power and control that we have changed from preaching the gospel, which is, by the way, the power of God unto salvation. And we've said the gospel's not going to do it. We're going we're to turn to political power. we got a bunch of people lusting after political power. Lusting after control and influence in Washington 
And I, I fear, like the Apostle Paul, who has bewitched you? Who has turned you away from the simplicity of Christ? Who has made you believe that somehow through these acts of the flesh you can somehow have enough power to do something that can't be done in this realm because what you want done, what you want to have happen is not of this earthly temporal realm. What we need is transformation of men and women's hearts. Forget the Senate and the House Vote for godly men if they dare to run. But I'm telling you what, nothing will change in this earth until the hearts of men and women are changed. And there's only one thing that can do that. And it's not a Republican, it's not a Democrat, it's not a lobbyist. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the only thing that has the power of God to save us. And if the church doesn't get back to preaching the gospel and living the gospel and proclaiming the gospel and stop trusting in the arm of the flesh, you think this nation has fallen now, honey? You're not going to recognize it in 5, 10, or 20 years. And God will be just fine with letting her fall if that's what it's going to take for us to realize where the real power is. You think about Israel. The center of their universe was Jerusalem and that temple. And God let it all pass away. And he has not allowed it to be rebuilt to this day. And I'm telling you what, don't make an idol. Because the thing that you make the idol is the thing that God will let be cast down from your life. Because he is a jealous God. He wants you and I to understand he is in control. You are not your own. And this is not your home. Paul said, we're just pilgrims. I mean, Peter said, we're pilgrims and, and, and wanderers. He said, live that way and understand this so that the world, when they look at you, they'll, they'll know. They'll know. They'll understand. We're not of this world. We're different. We belong to God. Why are those people so different? Because they belong to God. That's why. Because they've been redeemed by God. Well, I want to know about this God. If we, if we just become like everybody else, what's the difference? Why do you think God made Israel be so different? It wasn't because they became righteous by keeping all those things. They had to be circumcised. They had to eat certain things. They had to dress certain ways. They had to do certain things. Why? Because he wanted the world to see my people are not like everybody else. My people are set apart. They are different. Those were never types to make them things to make them righteous. They were types and shadows which spoke of that circumcision that would come of the heart through the hand, through the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. It spoke of a life of separation that would not come because I do or don't do certain things, but because Jesus has separated me unto himself and I belong to him now. And our life should reflect it now, church. It should reflect it. John said it should be reflected in the love that you have for one another. Jesus said it should be reflected because you should love one another even as I have loved you. Our identity is not in a nation or a nationality, but our identity is in Christ. In Christ, we become a holy nation. We become a peculiar people. We become His very own. If our identity, listen, this is important for you to understand this and catch this revelation. If our identity, if our provision, if our sufficiency, if our success, if our freedom or anything else comes from being an American or a citizen of any other earthly nation, 
you know what's going to happen? Then our life becomes tied to the fortune or the misfortune of that nation. If I'm putting my hope in this economy, then my fortune or misfortune is tied to this economy. If my provision is, is related to this economic system, then my fortune or misfortune is going to be tied directly to this system. But if I recognize that God is in control, that I'm not my own, this is not my home, I don't care what happens on Wall Street. I don't care what happens anywhere. God is the one that's in control. And if I belong to Him, He has ownership of me, then He is obligated and responsible to take care of me. And that's exactly why Jesus said, look at the birds, look at the flowers. God knows how to take care of you. If He knows when a sparrow falls from the sky, He knows all about you. He does. He does. Psalm 2 says, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. Who sits, he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. God says, oh, you think. You think you're in control. He says, you're not. You're not in control. The apostles quoted that scripture when they came back. And they quoted what David said in Psalm 2. And that's when they said, for truly God, it was according to your hand and according to your purpose. It was determined beforehand what would happen to Christ. Now I want you to look at something here. Acts 4, 29. They quote the psalm. They make this declaration that it was according to God's hand and God's purpose to be determined before what was going to be done to Jesus. Then they say in verse 29, this is their prayer. And oh, that the church today would have this kind of faith and this kind of attitude. Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal, that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. That didn't happen in a church service. That didn't happen at a revival crusade. That happened in a house. And these people left that house and they went into the streets and they preached Jesus. They taught Jesus at the threat of their own life, under threat of persecution, under threat of losing everything. They preached Jesus. It didn't matter if they lost their job. It didn't matter if they lost their housing. It didn't matter if they lost all their friends and all their family. They preached Jesus. They were passionate about Jesus. They said, stop preaching Jesus. They beat them. They imprisoned them. They killed them. But they kept preaching Jesus. I wonder, is the church, where is the church today? Is that kind of tenacity, is that kind of passion for Jesus? Is it in the church today? I don't know. Today, I'm convinced we'd, we'd elect a politician. I'm convinced we'd get a petition drive going. I'm convinced we'd call our congressman or we would do something. But we would not do what those guys did. Well, they might hurt me. I might lose my job. I might, I might suffer. Oh, what? Like, our, has that never happened before? Forgive me for getting excited. Hallelujah. 
But somebody needs to get excited about Jesus. When is the church going to wake up? When is the church going to wake up? The writer of Hebrews, listen to what, listen to what the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews 10.32. But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, in other words, when you first came to Christ, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations. Do you understand what that means? They, they, they called these guys out. I mean, they singled them out and they made a public spectacle and humiliation of them because they put their faith in Jesus. Partly, he says, partly while you were made a spectacle by reproaches and tribulations and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. He said, you became like us. For you had compassion on me and my chains. Look at this. And joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods. They had such little respect for Christians in that day that they would just go in and they would just take. It's like, oh, you, you, you're naming Jesus Christ now as the way that you're going to go? They just go in. They just plunder their goods. They take their homes. They take their possessions. They drive them out of their city. But you know what they did? They kept preaching Jesus. They kept preaching Jesus. They didn't stop. You know how I know? Because we're preaching Jesus today. Had they stopped, we wouldn't be here today. Thank God they didn't stop. Thank God that the Holy Spirit was so real in them, was so powerful in them, that they had faith in that real power that resided in them, that they didn't look to some revival crusade or some something that somebody else was going to do and they're on the sideline cheering them on. No, they were out there putting their life and their possessions and their own selves on the line every day. Every day. I'm telling you what, church, we're blessed to live in a nation where we can go out and freely preach and we can freely share our faith. You can go to your workplace tomorrow and, and you, can, you can let it be known that you're a believer. They might not like it. They might tell you not to be obnoxious about it, but they're not going to kick you out and they're not going to fire you because you're a, a Christian. Now that day may come, I don't know. But Jesus said, while it's day, let's work. Because the darkness, the night's coming. So he says this, knowing, he said, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, don't cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. He's coming. It's coming. Hebrews 12, 27 says, Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. He said, Yet once more, I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. I'm telling you what, that spoke to those Hebrews. And those writers, the writers of Scripture understood what was coming, what would take place in 70 A.D., that that city and that temple would be destroyed. But I'm telling you what, the shaking has not stopped. I'm telling you, the things 
that you think are unshakable, the things that become idols in your life, the things that you put your hope and your trust in other than the Lord Jesus Christ and the unshakable kingdom that he has established and he is establishing, if you put your trust in anything else, you're going to find that it's going to all be shaken loose. This nation, God bless America, but I'm telling you what, God will let this nation shake to the ground if that's his will. And what are you going to do about it? You need to remember, he's in control. You're not your own, and this is not your home. This is not your home. Pray for your leaders. Pray for this nation. But I'm telling you what, let God's will be done. Let God's will be done. Not my will, let God's will be done. Psalm 47, and I'm ending right here. Psalm 47. Oh, clap your hands, all you people. Shout to God with the voice of triumph. For the Lord Most High is awesome. He is a great king over all the earth. He will subdue the peoples under us and the nations under our feet. He will choose our inheritance for us, the excellence of Jacob whom he loves. He will subdue all under our feet. Whose feet? I believe that is the feet of Christ. We are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And God has put all things, where? Under. Under his feet. Under our feet. What are the three things every person needs to know? Do you know them? You're not in control. You're not your own. And this is not your home. Now you might not like that truth, but it's true. And don't get mad at me. Get mad at the one who wrote the book. Okay? But it's the truth. And the sooner we come to the revelation of that truth, the sooner we'll be set free from all of these things that are distracting us and drawing us away from what should be our mission, and that is making Christ known through the power of his gospel. Amen? Before we do anything else, is there anyone here today, and maybe earlier at the invitation before communion was, was uh, you, you received communion, is there anyone here today, you say, I have, or I would like to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. I prayed earlier, Pastor Jeff, to receive Jesus. I never had done that before. Or maybe you're here and you say, I want to surrender my life to the Lord. Is there anyone? You've never done that, and you would like to give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ right now. Anyone? Okay. By your own admission, you're either all believers or you're not ready yet. And so for all you believers, if you're not ready yet, that's fine. But I would encourage you, count the cost, but get ready. Because we don't have any guarantee of tomorrow. We don't. And I'm not saying that to scare you, that's just a fact. Don't come to, don't come to Christ because you're scared. I know it's late, but I'm going to tell you another one of my pet peeves. I told someone this Thursday night, I said, you know, you know what we're doing? We're, we're writing so many books about so many things. We're trying to scare people into the kingdom. And you know what's happening? Fear will only take you so far. And when it, when it doesn't all pan out the way the writers of all these books say it should pan out and it's going to pan out, you know what people do? It's like, well, I thought that guy said this is what was going to happen, but it didn't happen. And, and, and they begin to doubt. Instead of just preaching the purity of the gospel, 
You know why you should come to faith in Christ? Because you have a revelation of God's love for you. Because you understand what Christ has done for you. That he saved you from death and hell and the grave and gave you eternal life in him. And that should be our motivation. Would you like for someone to marry you because they're afraid not to? Or would you want someone to marry you because they love you with all their heart? Well, I'm going to just tell you, I want someone to marry me because they love me, not because they're afraid not to. And what we're doing, I'm convinced, is, is trying to drive a bunch of people to Jesus because they're fearful of the alternative. No, what we need to do is be so in love with Jesus ourselves, have such a love and a passion for Jesus ourselves, that that love and passion becomes contagious for them, and they embrace Christ because they understand that He loved them first. And out of love, they embrace Him. I promise you the church did not endure the persecution she endured because she was afraid. She did it because she loved her Savior. And there was nothing man could do to her to, to rob her of that love and to separate her from that love. And she was willing to lose anything that's of this earth for the sake of the one she loved most and the one that loved her most. And I'm submitting to you that we need to start preaching the gospel that brings people back to loving Jesus and living passionately for him even if it costs them everything in this world. Amen? I'm out. Let's all stand. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we ask you today, just very simply, a very simple prayer, God. Lord, whatever it takes, God, that passion be restored to your church. That passion be restored to your people. Lord, how can we be bored? How can we be so indifferent when we have such a Savior and such a salvation so great as this? And Father, I pray that you would take the scales off of our eyes, remove the blinders from our hearts and our minds and our eyes, and we would see the passion that you have for us, Lord Jesus. And that passion for us, God, would inspire us and motivate us and light a fire in our hearts that would burn eternally for you, that we would do what we do out of a motivation of love, and that the world would see that love and know that we are your disciples. Father, we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Amen. Give the Lord a good hand.